The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. It's said that the United States has the finest higher educational institutions in the world. But at the same time, there's a lot of grave deficiencies with our higher education system, at least in my opinion. Welcome to The Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast from MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University. And I'm Charles Passy, a reporter at MarketWatch. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest. It's the beginning of a new year and the start of a new semester for college students. But according to some recent data, there might be some empty desks. Last fall, we got the latest numbers on college enrollment, and it was kind of bleak. Enrollment dropped for the third year in a row, falling by 1.1%. That's according to the National Student Clearinghouse, a nonprofit that publishes data and research on education. That 1.1% drop this year is an improvement over previous years and may indicate that the decline is beginning to let up. But still, there are now 1.5 million fewer students in colleges and universities in the U.S. than there were at the beginning of the pandemic. During the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty about the economy and so many people had to go back to work or stay home from work to take care of children or because they were sick or because they were unnerved, the numbers of people who dropped out of college accelerated. That's Doug Belkin. He covers higher education for The Wall Street Journal. Declining enrollment is one of the big issues that colleges and universities are facing today, but it's been going on long before 2020. More broadly, higher education is facing a crisis of confidence. In 2019, a poll from Gallup found that about half of U.S. adults consider a college education to be very important. That fell about 20% from just six years before. There are a number of factors impacting that perception, but a major one is the so-called return on investment. Today, we're going to be looking at an idea that one economist says could give students and those who will hire them after graduation, more certainty about what they've learned. It's called a college exit exam. First, we'll take a closer look at how we've gotten here. Let's go back to those enrollment figures we mentioned earlier. Belkin says, while the pandemic has had a serious impact, colleges and universities have actually been struggling with declining enrollment for a while. He gave us a bit of a history lesson. So the number of people who have enrolled in colleges and universities increased after World War II really very dramatically. And it increased because the return on investment for a degree was significant and it outpaced everything else. So it, it just made a lot of sense to get a college degree because you could get a good job afterwards that paid a lot of money. But in 2008, that began to change. After the Great Recession, the cost of college and the return on that cost flattened and in some cases declined, depending on what you studied. So this has created a lot of tension around the issue of the value of college and whether or not it's worth going. The cost of college is, of course, part of that conversation about value. 
The cost of college has increased about four times the rate of inflation for several decades. People used to be able to get a job in the summer and pay their tuition for the entire year. That hasn't been the case for a generation. Now, in order to pay for college, most people are taking out significant debt, and that has accrued to about $1.7 trillion, which means that a generation, the generation of millennials, owes a lot of money, and they have had to postpone things like family formation and buying a house and buying cars because they can't get out from under that debt. One way that some measure the value of a college degree is employment after graduation. In 2021, the employment rate for 25 to 34-year-olds was higher based on level of education. It was 86% for those with a bachelor's degree or higher, according to the National Center for Education Statistics. But increasingly, there have been hints of dissatisfaction among employers when it comes to the people they're hiring right out of college. Last year, a study from the Association of American Colleges and Universities looked at just that subject. We'll dive more into the particulars of that report later in the episode. But one top-line result was this. Only six in 10 employers say that recent graduates have the knowledge and skills needed to succeed in entry-level positions. Here's Doug Belkin. A college degree has long been a very strong signal to employers that a student has good critical thinking capacity and is to some extent trained and ready for the workforce. That's declined over the past few years. This is an issue for employers because now they don't necessarily know that the people that they're hiring out of college are prepared, whether they're good critical thinkers, whether they can write a good business memo, whether they can think and analyze numbers is not a given anymore. And so there's become a lot of stress around the issue of what are kids are actually learning in school. Some say great inflation hasn't helped. Back in the 1960s, college students were most likely to get C's, but grades have gotten higher over time. Research published in the Teachers College Record in 2012 found that on average, A's represented 43% of all letter grades, up 28 percentage points from the 1960s and 12 percentage points since 1988. There have been efforts from colleges like Princeton and Wellesley to tamp down on grade inflation, but some argue that grade inflation isn't actually a problem. And recent research has indicated that there may even be positives, including narrowing the gender imbalance in STEM courses and increasing graduation rates. But for employers, grades alone aren't the indicator they used to be, according to Belkin. If everybody is special, then nobody is special, and schools can't really determine who's standing out or not by virtue of the grades people are getting. This has created a desire for some kind of way for employers to get a better sense of what college graduates know and what they're capable of before they hire them. So one of the ideas that's been floated by a conservative economist has been to create a college exit exam. It said that the United States has the finest system of higher educational institutions in the world, and there's some evidence to back that up. But at the same time, there's a lot of grave deficiencies with our higher education system in this country, at least in my opinion. That's Richard Vedder. He's a professor emeritus of economics at Ohio University. He's also the author of the book, Going Broke by Degree, Why College Costs Too Much. Having talked to a lot of companies over time, they quite often 
hear complaints about students that go to work for them, that they do know some things and they're good in some areas and they have some good qualities, but they also are very deficient in other ways. And I don't think the colleges convey that through a transcript. In this age of great inflation, nearly everyone who graduates from college is considered a pretty good student. They have a B average or above and all. So the great system, once upon a time, provided quite a bit of information because it was rare to get students with all A's, very rare. Today, that's not so true. There are a lot of students getting all A's. How do you differentiate the best of those from just the so-so quality of those students? Vetter has an idea that he believes might help, what he calls the National Collegiate Exit Examination. Well, I think it would be nice if we had some standardized way of measuring what students know when they graduate from college. But it's pretty hard sometimes to compare the student going to, say, a school in Missouri with a student going to a school in Oklahoma and another student in a school in North Carolina. How do we compare them? Which one of those three students, the three different institutions knows the most? And how have they done? One way to do it would be to have a generalized test where you had a little bit of mathematics on it, a little bit of science on it, a little bit of English literature on it and history and economics and sort of basic core subjects that most educated people should have some knowledge about. You could have a few questions on each of a variety of different subjects and performance on such a test would give a pretty decent idea of the sort of general knowledge of the student. We test for everything else in education. We test constantly in education. Why don't we test the bottom line, the end product, the final results? And I think such tests could be devised and should be. Stephanie, you're the professor here. What do you think of Vetter's proposal? Well, I guess one of the things that I immediately started to think about was, so what if you start requiring students to take this kind of exit exam and students come to believe that, you know, how they perform on the exam has real implications for how they're going to succeed on the job market because employers will be looking at the results of these tests, maybe their starting pay. And if students think that they're performance on the exit exam is really going to impact these kinds of things. They're going to want to do well, right? They're going to want to study for it and max out their scores. And who's going to be in a better position to devote the time to studying for that exit exam? It's probably going to be a lot like it is, you know, for some SAT and ACT prep. Kids who can afford to do so will probably pay tutors and have the ability to put in the extra time. And those that can't may end up disadvantaged. Okay, I hear your point, but I'll say this. I was probably in some ways a very lazy college student. As my college career went on, I started putting more effort into my part-time jobs, which became almost full-time jobs, and really started backing off on my studies. I think if I had an exit exam, it would have forced me to think a little bit harder about what I was doing in college and the learning I was getting. And maybe, you know, essentially I would be starting to put more emphasis on what I was learning, knowing that I would be taking a test for it. I think it might have forced me to think a little bit more thoughtfully about my education. I'm curious to know what students would think about this today. I can't imagine some of them would like it. 
Well, Charles, we actually asked one of my students what he would make of something like this. Here's Peter Joyce. He's a junior at Stony Brook University. I wouldn't really want to do something like that. I'm not the biggest fan of test taking, especially time test taking, because I'm not always like the fastest writer or like the fastest person to answer questions. So when you're put in like a time stressed environment, it can rush you and prevent you from answering questions as effectively as you might be able to otherwise. So like, I don't feel that a test like that is necessarily like the greatest measurement of a student's ability, or it's not exactly fair to all students. College is an important bridge between high school and getting to a career where you can be successful and happy with your life. But it's also a place where you should be able to explore all sorts of different types of knowledge and become a more well-rounded person. Like you shouldn't be pigeonholed into taking certain classes. Part of the fun of college is being able to explore different areas, even if they're not super relevant to what you want to do in your life. The reaction from students isn't the only barrier a test of this kind would face. When it comes to actually implementing something like a college exit exam, Vetter acknowledges it would be tough. In his reporting for the Wall Street Journal, Doug Belkin found the college exit exam has been attempted at least once before. About a decade ago, Wayne State University, a public research university in Detroit, had a requirement that students pass what they called a competency exam in math and English before they got their degree. But according to the school's director of testing and assessment, too many students failed, causing a graduation backup. The school nixed the test. Belkin agrees that mandating an exam like this would be difficult to enforce. Part of the reason has to do with accreditation. Colleges and universities in the United States get accreditation through independent agencies that review a school's courses and educational programs and validate the quality of the institutions. So the government doesn't actually accredit the universities. These regional accreditors or these bodies of universities made up of professors usually do the accreditation. In order for this to work, they would probably have to adopt something like this. And that does not seem likely because it would really put the screws to universities in a way that a lot of folks would consider unfair or limited. If you were to hold this huge variety of universities to a single test, then some would necessarily do better than others because they're more aligned with it. But it wouldn't be fair to schools that don't have a curriculum that's particularly well aligned to the test. Coming up, if employers are disappointed by recent college grad skills, what do they want to see? We take a closer look at a study on the subject. That's after the break. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. 
Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Welcome back to the best new ideas in money. Before the break, we heard about an idea for an exit exam that could help college students show what they know and help employers looking to hire the best graduates. We mentioned that according to a recent study, only six in 10 employers surveyed said recent graduates have the knowledge and skills to succeed in entry-level positions. But the rest of that study actually revealed a lot of nuances about the confidence employers and the American public at large have in higher education. So let's take a closer look. We've actually, as an association, been running employer studies since about 2005. And basically, the point of the study is to get a sense from employers what they value both in the skills and abilities of recent college graduates and then also the experiences that college students have that most contribute to their workforce success. That's Ashley Finley. She's the Vice President of Research and Senior Advisor to the President at the American Association of Colleges and Universities. The AACU is an organization that works to improve quality and equity in undergraduate education. For last year's study, the AACU surveyed nearly 500 employers across sectors and industries. The study looked at employer views and perceptions on education, as well as mindsets and personal qualities that play an important role in workplace success. First, let's dive deeper on that initial piece, often termed as confidence in higher education. Finley says that phrasing can actually be a bit misleading. In the study, the AACU found that employers who said they had a great deal of confidence in higher education dipped from 49% in 2018 to 41% in 2020. However, the survey also asked employers if getting a college degree is worth it. Nine out of 10 said yes. We have known since the 70s that there has been a declining public trust in social institutions writ large. So the way the legislature operates, the police force, hospitals. So when you talk to people about their perception of public institutions, there has been a documented declining public trust in those institutions. And higher education certainly hasn't escaped that. So what we wanted to get at, though, was both a sense of confidence or trust, but then also, if you will, almost the brass tacks of do you need it, though? Do you actually still need a college degree to be successful or to have access to higher paying jobs? And I still think we see what we're seeing is a high degree of public opinion that that is the case. There is still a belief in the empirical reality that a college degree pays off. The paper also took a look at the skills employers most valued when hiring recent graduates. The usual suspects, communication, critical thinking, and quantitative reasoning all came out near the top. But Finley says there was a notable shift. What struck us in this latest study was the high value on teamwork, which speaks to increasing trends around the ideas that jobs are becoming more and more collaborative. So just the ability to work across not only teams, but also diverse teams 
of people is an increasingly important skill that employers are valuing. The study delved into the kinds of experiences that employers saw as most valuable for developing those skills. Internships have long ranked high, but increasingly, employers are looking to other kinds of experiences. We're also asking about the degree to which employers value community-based experiences or work-study experiences. In our association and within some of the larger literature, we refer to these things as high-impact practices. And the reason that we call them that is because there has been a robust and pervasive amount of evidence around these that students' engagement in those kinds of activities tends to lead to more positive outcomes in their grades, certain interpersonal or intrapersonal sort of skills and abilities. So we wanted to ask employers specifically, do those things resonate outside of the classroom for you? Another increasingly valuable resource for employers isn't new at all, the portfolio. Initially used as a way for students in the arts or designed to showcase their work, portfolios are now much more common for students across subjects. In recent years, they've shifted into electronic form, often as a website. You can see right away who the student is. You get a much better sense of who they are as individuals. But then with a kind of career tab, they can actually lay out what their skills and abilities are, the kinds of experiences that have contributed to the development of those skills and abilities, a more comprehensive look at what they did both inside and outside the classroom. Compare the portfolio to a transcript, Finley says. As one of her colleagues liked to say, a transcript is a record of everything a student has forgotten. It's a very poor indication of the kinds of skills or even experiences that students had within those courses. Most transcripts do not track co-curricular experiences or anything that's happened outside the classroom. So the portfolio is the tool that students can use to at least supplement that document in a much more meaningful and substantive way. And according to the survey, employers are increasingly on board. Basically, the responses from employers were any way you can get it to us, we are likely to look at it. So there was an overall enthusiastic response of employers saying, yes, we would value looking at something like that. One more thing. For the first time, Finley says the survey broke down the employer responses across a number of different demographics, by gender, race, and other factors. The only one she said had a persistent trend effect was the difference between employers under the age of 40 and those over the age of 50. Employers under the age of 40 valued community experiences. They valued global experiences, the way that they saw the purpose of higher education as being for social justice and to work with communities. We see that as a really good sign that the next generation of employers, as that generation rises, will place even more emphasis on the role of higher education as a public good and that hiring college graduates that have that sensibility and have the application of their learning within those environments will only become more important. And that's great news for campuses. The shift in what employers value and how they feel about recent graduates' work is one that will continue to impact hiring over time. Which brings us back to the idea we explored in the first half of the episode, the college exit exam. We asked Finley what she made of the proposal. Standardized exams have a long history of being inequitable, of advantaging certain students. They also have a long history of, for lack of a better term, being a bit reductionist 
in how they capture the totality of a student's experiences and the ability for students to express what their actual capacities are. Certainly bend towards the students who are the best test takers. We would argue from an association standpoint and from the standpoint of the kinds of skills and abilities that we just said employers value, thinking about something like the evaluation of a portfolio. So allow students to curate and put together the evidence and the documentation that reflects the capacities and the abilities that they've developed over those four, five, six years, two years even, and allow them to display that, allow them to showcase it in a way that is unique to them, that showcases their personal strengths, and would be a much better representation of the complexity of the kinds of skills that we're actually talking about that matter. Richard Vedder, the professor and economist who came up with the idea, is familiar with the criticism. Well, that's the standard line. First of all, teaching to the test. The test as I envision it is pretty comprehensive. So teaching to the test means teaching English literature, teaching economics, teaching history, a little bit of chemistry, and of course, mathematics of various forms to students. Teaching to that kind of test is actually a good thing. It isn't anything to be condemned. We want students to be able to perform well in these tests. But Vetter understands that the value of college can't be wholly limited to being able to pass a test. And I would acknowledge that. First of all, I think there's a socialization dimension to college. People go to college to make friends. They go to college to develop contacts and, and, and networking. They go to college to fall in love. They go to college for a lot of reasons. And it's obvious a test like this isn't going to deal with all of those issues. So I'm not suggesting that this test is the end-all or the comprehensive measure of the success or failure of a college. But it is an important component to it. Not the only component, but an important one. Thanks for listening to The Best New Ideas in Money. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at bestnewideasinmoney at marketwatch.com. Thanks to Doug Belkin, Richard Vetter, Ashley Finley, and Peter Joyce. To learn more about new ideas in higher education, head to marketwatch.com. I'm Stephanie Kelton. And I'm Charles Passy. The Best New Ideas in Money is a podcast from MarketWatch. The producers are Michael McDowell, Meta Lutzhoft, and Katie Ferguson, who also mixed this episode. Melissa Haggerty is executive producer. Tim Rostin was our newsroom editor on this episode. The Best New Ideas in Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.